0: This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This week, we spoke with Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie about the race. Mike Pence dropping out, why Christie thinks his attitude toward former President Trump is exactly what's needed, and why he doesn't think the former president is really the GOP's favorite. He's headed to Miami this week for the third debate. Christie talked about how foreign policy matters are factoring into the race, but noted how early it is and how things might change, especially if the war in the Middle East widens. And we got his thoughts on the FBI director's worries about the threat landscape to the U.S., given the war. His thoughts on the end of the UAW strike and Republicans' desired changes to education in an effort to increase test scores. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but thought you might like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's Chris Christie on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Former Vice President Mike Pence says now is not his time. I thought that phrasing was of, of note. But if you're staying in this race, why is, it, why is it Chris Christie's time?
1: Because I'm the only one in this race who's willing to take on Donald Trump head-on. Um, everyone else in the race is seemingly running for a spot on the Trump ticket or someplace in the Trump cabinet because they refuse to criticize him directly. In fact, worse... They say that if he was a convicted felon, they'd still support him. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the reason it's our time is because the Republican Party, if we want to win an election again, which we haven't done since 2016, if we want to win one again, um, we better change the person at the top of the party. He's been a loser for us, and uh, we need to move on.
0: Uh, Nikki Haley seems like she's ready to go after him a little bit more. She said at, uh, this past weekend at RJC, we can't afford more chaos. That, that sounds like she's ready to take him on.
1: Yeah, she wouldn't say his name, though. Um, and, um, you know, it's like she treats him like he's Voldemort. Um, uh, so, you know, look, um, the problem with Governor Haley is that she's been all over the map. She said that if he ran, he was such a good president that if he ran, she wouldn't run. Um, she said after January 6th that um, we should give him a break. Uh, She said that uh, she would be inclined to pardon him if she became president. I don't know. That sounds like a running mate, not like an opponent.
0: So, Governor, if you believe the polling, right, most of the party supports former President Trump. That's just that's just that's just math, right? Like that they just like this person. So if that's the reality you're facing then is it, it, it's not a winnable strategy then to say, well, I'm the only one going against him, right? At some point, there well, has to be sort of a Jessica, swaying of the base. No,
1: Jessica, it's just not true that most of the party wants him. In fact, if you look at all of the early state polling, whether it's Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina, he's below 50%. Now, if any other incumbent, Joe Biden, for under 50% with Democrats, Uh, folks would be going crazy about how he can't possibly run because he's under 50% with his own party. Donald Trump is not over 50% in any of the early states. He's not over 50% in any credible national poll. Um, More than half of this party doesn't want him and is searching for the right alternative. So I disagree with the premise of the question. And all you have to do is not take my opinion for it. Look at the numbers. A Des Moines Register poll came out yesterday yesterday. Yes, he was winning, yeah. he was at 43%. Um, so it's fine. If he wins the Iowa caucuses, um, that's one thing. That'll give him about eight delegates. Um, we have some other very big races coming beyond Iowa. Um, and, you know, 43% of the vote for a guy who has won the nomination twice is uh, not something to hold a parade for.
0: Okay, but just I just want to... The real clear politics average, it says morning consult, Trump has 61, the Messenger-Harris Act, 61, USA Today, Suffolk, 58. I, it does look like some, at least I, there are some but, polls that have them well over 43.
1: Right. But, but national polls do not matter. That's <laughs> true. We, we don't have a national primary. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to vote it state by state. And after every state result, it will change the election in the next state to come. Okay. And so... If Donald Trump were to um, have a close race in Iowa against Ron DeSantis, that would change the election significantly, uh, because right now the polls say he's up by 27 points. If Ron DeSantis were to come in there and lose by one or two, you all would be saying Trump underperformed expectations, DeSantis overperformed expectations, and all of a sudden he'd be on a jet plane, you know, <laughs> um, heading to the top of the polls. So, you know, we're, I, I want to remind you something. The Des Moines Register poll in October of 2016, you know who was winning? Ben Carson by 10 points.
0: Well, Iowa has not necessarily been the best predictor as of late, yes. Well, I'm just
1: saying, you know, compare apples to apples. The Des Moines Register poll in 2016, the Des Moines Register poll in 2024. Donald Trump's up by 27. Ben Carson was up by 10 in October of 2015, (laughs) 2015 for the 16 race. Over, you know, Donald Trump over Ted Cruz and Ted Cruz wound up winning those caucuses. And Donald Trump came in second and Ben Carson was a distant fourth. Marco Rubio came in mm-hmm. third. So there's so much time to go, Jessica. I know you guys all want this to be over, but <laughs> it's not. It's far from over and um, it's not going to be over for a long time.
0: OK, so uh, the next thing is the debate. I, I, you've qualified. You're, you're going right. This field is, is winnowing. Yeah. Okay, so what do you expect?
1: Look, I I expect no more than four or five people on the stage. Um, If it's as small as four, you're going to get to hear a lot more from people. They've now increased the length of our answers from a minute to a minute and a half. Um, They've increased our ability to reply from 30 seconds to a minute. So you're going to be hearing more from the candidates. Um, And because there's fewer of us, you're going to be hearing more from each candidate. Um, not only in their individual answers, but each candidate will be getting more questions. So I expect a pretty energetic debate on uh, a week from Wednesday, and I'm really looking forward to it. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows, and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.
0: Let's talk about what's going on in the Middle East. It does seem like, it seems like the what's happening, the the violence in Israel... Is certainly shaping the race right now, and I, I I think it remains to be seen. I think we all think it remains to be seen how long this will last. Will it shape the race even into next year? I imagine it will, as far as far as you know, foreign policy dis- discussions go. But you know, now we have the Houthis in Yemen saying we want to we want to keep firing rockets at Israel. We want to join this this fight in a bigger way. We keep hearing from the administration. We don't want this to turn into something bigger. And that's why we've sent these carrier strike groups and these F-16s and F-15s to the region, to the Eastern Med and the Red Sea. Is this the beginning of something bigger in your mind? Are you preparing for that?
1: Look, I think that, you know, if you're going to be the next president, you know, you don't take over until January of 2025. And so trying to guess today what circumstances will look like on the ground in Israel throughout the Middle East and Ukraine, for that matter, um, is just a pure guessing game. But I do think that President Biden has taken the right steps by moving um, you know, two parts of the fleet into the area. Um, and, and I think we all hope that it doesn't widen. I don't think you can react yet to whether it's going to widen or not. Um, you know, the Houthis in Yemen, yep, they're talking. But in the end, um, the fact is that
0: they're so not just far, talking, they're firing rockets.
1: Well, I, I understand that, but, the, but they're not firing records that are of any consequence um, to the Israelis. Um, with the Iron Dome and with the distance um, that they're shooting those rockets, the Israelis are going to be able to take care of that. And, and the Houthis do not present at the moment the threat that um, Hamas does or Hezbollah does. Those are the two biggest threats to Israel right now and the ones that they need to deal with.
0: What should the State Department be doing right now as far as Americans, uh, as far as American hostages go, uh, being held by Hamas? Well,
1: I hope it's not just the State Department. I know they're engaged in discussions uh, through third parties um, with Hamas, and I think that's a good thing. But I hope that they're also using our intelligence community and our military intelligence to, A, try to see if we can locate where the American hostages are, and two, to see if there is a way for us to use our military assets to go in there and rescue our hostages. I think those are all things that should be being looked at um, by the Biden administration. I'm not saying it'll be a viable option. I don't know because I'm not being briefed. Yeah. But I, if I were president, I'd be demanding uh, to have plans like that on my desk so that I could consider whether it was a risk we wanted to take or not. And whether it was more likely than not to get the hostages out alive. Those are the things that we should be concerned about when it comes to American citizens being held in Gaza.
0: You know, on the domestic front, Governor Christopher Ray, FBI director, told a Senate Homeland Security hearing uh, on Tuesday that he's he's thinking not just about the, the possibility of loan attacks by people who are inspired by Hamas, but he also said this. They don't discount the possibility of Hamas or another terrorist group conducting an attack here on U.S. soil. That Iranians have directly or indirectly by hiring criminals mounted assassination attempts against dissidents and current and former U.S. officials here on U.S. soil. And Hezbollah has a history of obtaining money and weapons and spying here on U.S. soil. What's your reaction to that?
1: I think that's the world we're living in right now, Jessica. And I'm glad that Director Ray is is saying those things out loud and making the American people be realistic about what we're confronting here. This is not something that can be ignored, as Donald Trump attempts to do, as Ron DeSantis attempts to do, as Vivek Ramaswamy attempts to do, um, in terms of how all of this stuff is interconnected. What's going on in Russia and Ukraine is interconnected with what's happening in the Middle East, is interconnected with what's happening in the South China Sea because the the foursome of evil, um, Iran, North Korea, uh, China, and Russia are coordinating all of this activity, and China is paying for a lot of it, as is Iran with the oil money that the Biden administration has allowed them to get. And so uh, we've got to understand that we are not uh, absolutely immune from those types of attacks. And for somebody like me, who was appointed U.S. attorney in New Jersey— on uh, September 10th, 2001, oh. uh, I understand that acutely and very differently than anybody else who's in this race.
0: Okay, just two more for you, if I may, um, not related to foreign policy. I, I remember as governor, you were highly focused on education. You talked about it on, on the campaign trail back in the day. want your thoughts, because test scores keep declining. Um, as you know, the registered loss in national testing is 4.7 in decline for teenagers in reading, nine point decline in math. A C T scores now are dropping as kids trying to take the, you know, the SATs and the ACTs to get into college. They've reached the A C T scores for college entrance are at a thirty year low. I know Republicans seem to think a big part of the answer here when we talk about education is school choice. Is it in your mind or is it something more?
1: Well, I, I think it's gotta be even more than that. And let's remember 39% of our 8th graders don't read at grade level. 25% of our 8th graders don't do math at grade level. This has become an epidemic in this country that is not going to only affect our economy in the future, but it's going to affect our democracy because an uneducated electorate can't run the most complex democracy the world's ever known. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to put parents back completely in charge of their educational choices. And school choice is a minor... um, is a minor way to put it. We need a revolution in education that turns over the money to the parents to decide where they want to send their kids. We spend $400 billion a year on K-12 education in this country, and we're getting the results that you and I just talked about. Uh, It seems to me that we need to set up a completely competitive system. We will go to the places that are doing the best job, not just go to the places in your neighborhood.
0: Okay. And last, lastly, if I may, the UAW strike appears over. A um, lot, lot more money going to be going to the workers from Ford, GM and Stellantis. But GM said last week, they're probably not going to meet that goal of producing 40,000 EVs by next year. Ford uh, says they're not going to really be spending billions on battery plants in the foreseeable future. This fight always seemed to pit workers against the cost of carmakers' climate goals. What do you make of, of what just happened?
1: Well, I don't think the car makers' climate goals. Ugh. I think they're the Biden administration's mandates um, that they're doing to car makers uh, here in the U.S. And I think it's anti competitive and I think it's wrong. Um, the, the fact is that um, this, this technology will evolve over time and become more readily available, more readily manufactured. But, um, you know, so I, I think that the, the, the Biden administration's overwhelming push to get everybody to buy everybody to buy an electric vehicle whether they want one or not is not going to happen for two reasons you're not going to be able to manufacture them quickly enough as you just mentioned and two um, we don't have the electric grid to support all these cars being charged Mm -hmm. you'll remember this past summer uh governor newsom of california sent out an advisory asking people not to charge their cars because they were going to crash the grid um so that part of it is is ridiculous and Secondly, on the UAW settlement itself, look, um, the car manufacturers have been much more profitable. Um, and I believe in arms length negotiations between a private company um, and its labor force. And sometimes the private company is going to get the better of that negotiation, sometimes the labor force is. But as long as government's not imposing on the uh, either side exactly what should be done and they're allowed to negotiate it in a free market circumstance, then I'm willing to live with whatever the results are. It doesn't mean I would have done it that way necessarily, but what it does mean is I, I'm not the CEO of General Motors um, or of Ford. Um, they and their boards get to make those decisions and negotiations with the UAW and their representatives, and I'm glad it's over, that so people are back to work being paid, and we're continuing to manufacture vehicles for the American people.
0: 2024 Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Jessica, thanks for having me. It's always fun.
0: I didn't mean to take up so much time, but thank you for that. appreciate it.
1: Don't worry about it. It's a good conversation. It's my pleasure.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Governor. Bye.
1: Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Will Cain, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Cain Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.